sun will once again rise up in the east. All right, I'm not proud of this one, uh, of this this story here, but it's I'm going to be honest, so I'm going to tell it, and it may be a little hard to get out, but anyways, uh, this is probably 15 years ago. Yeah, probably about that. Uh, I was living in Savannah. I was just finishing up grad school. This is, uh, uh, my memory may be way off, but I I think I'm on point with this. And um, I had finished my my first professional job, which was a a miniseries for Wildstorm. And coming off of it, I, I assumed ignorantly uh, stupidly, naively, is that, is that even a word? Uh, that, that, that was it, that from then on, I'd be a working professional, and that began my 10 years of not working in comics, trying to get a second job, I, I didn't know this at the time, but what I learned was uh, the only thing harder than breaking in is staying in. And, uh, you know, there was a lot going on in the business. I, I don't want to get into all that. It's, it's not... not a, it's, it's probably an interesting two-sided conversation. Probably not an interesting one-sided monologue. So I, I was coming off the end of this mini-series and uh, I hadn't been able to line anything up. And I was going, um, I want to say this was Megacon in 90, no, this would be 2000, 2000, 2000 or 2001, so maybe it wasn't 15 years ago. I don't know. It, it was either that. Well, here, here's what happened: was we we would me and my college buddies would go to conventions frequently, and whenever we saw someone new at the school who seemed serious minded, which wasn't that often, uh, we took them took them in and took them to shows, and it really wasn't that many people, but there was one person in particular. And that was Sean Murphy, and that's who today's conversation on Ink Pulp Audio will be with. Uh, so I, I had met Sean, and I think Sean and I went over this in our first podcast. But just briefly, I met him. He was he was uh, getting started in school. I was finishing in school, and uh, he, he really, you could see it. You could just see it in the work. There, there was, he was operating on another level. Um, so we took him to his first con. He, I don't think he had ever been, or if he had been, he'd been to a small one, and I don't think he knew much of the industry at that point. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. And uh, we took him. And... I don't think it was this show. But anyways, we took him to this show and and he was uh he set up. I, I think I gave him some space next to me 
Um, and uh, people took to him f- upon seeing his work initially, of which, of course. And uh, so I don't think it was then, because this, this, I don't know if you call it a story, story I'm going to tell, which I'm not proud of, uh, I don't think would have been then. It would have been Heroes Con that June. So MegaCon was usually in February or March at the time. So let's say we go to this con and and and, and people are starting to buzz just at this little show uh, about Sean. And uh, I was kind of thinking coming off the heels of my first mini, there'd be some buzz around me, which... Again, stupid, arrogant, ignorant, naive on my part. So, anyways, we had a good time. And we we went home after that. And so, I, I am almost positive it's got to be Heroes Con where this, this moment occurred. Because I needed more time to brew. I needed that bitter bitter anger in me to fester a little longer because it, it it wasn't I, I can't see that it would have been there at Heroes at MegaCon because I was just fin- I think I finished issue four like days before we left for the show I remember uh, Rico Renzi was coming down and Chris Brunner and we were all going down together and uh, I think Rico and Chris stayed with me at my place that night and I cook steaks. I remember finishing my, my big celebration when I finished my first miniseries was I remember my wife had to work, so I was alone. I, I finished it, and there was a, a good pizza joint. I got myself a whole pizza and a bottle of champagne and ate and drank as much as I possibly could. <laughs> Anyways, so... Yeah, so, okay, so let's say MegaCon ends and months go by till June when I'm going to HeroesCon and, and I can't get another job going for the life of me. Um, you know, I'm back to where I was before I got my job. So I was convinced the summer convention circuit would be it for me. I'll apologize if my... my uh, now, I won't apologize. I'm going to explain. I'm I'm a little mellow right now. I'm just really, really tired. I've uh, been working pretty hard, and my wife's away for the weekend, so I've got the kids, and I'm trying to juggle a lot right now. So that, that's just, that's where my mindset is. I'm just tired. And I'm also, the kids are upstairs sleeping. I can't record this in the studio, so I can't yell or scream and get too excited. So, okay, so again, here comes Heroes Con. We're going to, you know, invite Sean again. Sean's going to go get him set up with his own space at this one. Now, Heroes Con is an artist show, and it was much smaller back then, as all shows were. And uh, it was a tight-knit artist community, as it still is. And it really is, you know, probably my favorite show to this day to do. And it's... Definitely my favorite shop to go to. So I've been doing Heroes Con for a little while, so I'm expecting coming off the miniseries, this will be a good show for me. 
I'll I'll get a lot of commissions. Now, you gotta. <clears throat> I I I'm I, I'm always trying to find the birth of my insecurity because when I first <clears throat> I'm also fighting allergies, so excuse all the coughing. When I when I first when I went to undergrad, I I, I wasn't in a program where I was challenged by the students around me and I, I wasn't very good but in that that pool I, I appeared to be so I, I became very arrogant and I'm trying to find where this insecurity came birth in it was probably when I went to my first convention assuming I'd be scooped up and I'd be the new new hit artist and that just didn't happen Again, I know, arrogant, ignorant, stupid, naive. I, 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 I embrace that. I get it. I get it. You know, I was a kid too. Um, so I, I, I do try to, to th there was that, those long, bitter years where insecurity stewed and bitterness brewed and anger festered and I was toxic. Uh, I, I, I'm on the other side of that now, so I, I don't feel this way anymore, I'm, but I am trying to reflect and understand. So I I don't remember the birthing point of this insecurity, but I, I guess it was just always wanting to succeed, this drive. And I, I don't think I ever really defined success for myself, what that meant. What I, what I, I, It was more about I, I want to say I was more interested, I was probably more interested in acceptance from my peers than anything, because that would say to me, I'm doing it right, or I'm doing something right. Uh, because you can be, you can sell a ton of books, or you can be a, a hit singer, and you can be a huge director, but that doesn't guarantee quality. But I do feel like amongst the good filmmakers, if you're a director that's being talked about, that has merit, that has weight. And that does mean you're doing something well. So I, I was... I am more concerned with doing good work than selling big numbers. I'm not saying I don't want to sell big numbers. I'm just saying that that that's that that's my concern. Or that's what I'm interested in. I'm just listening to the little voice inside me that tells me what feels right and what feels wrong. So I got off track there. So at this Heroes Con, I, I guess I was expecting to have my insecurity fed a little or expecting to maybe it was maybe it was that out of control ego of youth that was looking to come back out of the shell like someone would open the door again and say, Okay, now now you can come out. Come on out. Come on. Let everyone know how good you are. Go go ahead. Go ahead, tell them. Just again just the stupid 
arrogant, ignorant, naive, youth mind of Sean. So, uh, so that's not what happened at the show. I, I had a very rough show. I, I think I I maybe did one commission. Uh, this was a long time ago, and uh, I'm not saying I'm proud of of what I'm about to tell you, but it's the truth. So I had a um, I had a bad show. Uh, I didn't do well and it wasn't about making money doing sketches it was about the that that insecurity feeding off the people wanting to have them or or the admiration of work um i, I know i'm just trying to reflect and and understand so uh you know and of course this is after a weekend of drinking all night not getting the sleep i need not having proper rest, not having proper nutrition. Um, you know, conventions are really, really toxic brewing, can be toxic brewing experiences where it's just a perfect stew of of unrest, hangover, insecurity, anxiety, bitterness, anger. It's just a toxic stew. Um, so I remember packing up on Sunday just, beat. I just felt defeated and beaten up. Now, Sean, on the other hand, who hadn't worked yet, was had a good show, and everyone was buzzing about him. And again, rightfully so. And I, I honestly, rightfully so, that I wasn't getting the the buzz or or what I was hoping for, you know, my work wasn't wasn't ready. Uh, I I got lucky and got that first job, but you know the the work wasn't there. I wasn't there. Uh, the the work was still. I think you could look at it and see he's trying to figure it out. There's something there, but he's trying to figure it out, and people respond to that. And, and when an artist really has it and they figure it out as, you know, poorly drawn or whatever, and they just throw it down with confidence, it, it resonates in the viewer. And, and I didn't have it at the time. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a perfect blend of shit for me. And I was just not happy. I was just angry packing up. And uh, uh, Sean was sitting next to me, and he was packing up. And I, I think he, I, I knew he he had had a good show, and he was all on cloud nine, and I was not. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't remember what prompted me. It, it was nothing. Sean did. It was just this ugliness came out of me, and and I said. To, Maybe Sean asked how my show was, and I said something. I don't remember word for word, but the, but the gist of it was, I, I don't know, maybe one day, I said to Sean, maybe one day I'll, people like me like they do you or something, but it was, it was nasty. It was ugly. Uh, it, it was really disgusting. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if Sean remembers it. Sean, do you remember this? 
probably not. Um, probably not, because he's he's been a really good friend to me and and really helpful to me in many ways. And uh, I don't know why this is bubbling up now. I hadn't really thought about it for a very long time. I was really, really ashamed of myself for for what I said. It, it was just it was. It was bitter, it was jealous, it was angry, and it, it wasn't, it was jealousy, that's what it was, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was, it was anger, it was jealousy and frustration, I guess is the best way to put it, and it was stupid, and I don't know, I'm, I was not proud of myself after that, uh, and I, th- I don't I don't know if Sean and I ever talked about it, but I, I've always, I don't even know if I ever apologized. I don't even know if Sean ever really thought twice about it. But anyways, the reason I'm telling you this now is Sean's on today and we have a really nice talk again. And like I said, Sean's been a really good friend to me and he's been a, a, a really good colleague to me as well. They're they're two very separate things, and he's been both. So I guess I wanted to tell this story and say, Sean, I'm I'm sorry. I I don't even know if the, this might all be in my head. I've built this drama up, but it was a moment I'm not a proud of, and I'm an idiot for 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 having done it, and I'm sorry. So I don't know. Think about the way you act. Think about the things you do. I know a lot of people don't admit to themselves when they do this sort of stuff and like to act holier than thou when people act this way. But, and I'm not excusing the action, but I am admitting to it and I'm copying to it and I'm also trying to understand it. And in doing so, maybe get others thinking about the way they've seen people act and write people off or the way they've acted to someone else. Anyway, I don't know. That's it. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure Sean and I have a nice long one here and we end it with a nice setup for a podcast that I I hope we do get to one day. So, uh, enjoy this episode of Ink Pulp Audio. All right, the floor maybe. Ugh. Is that you want the chair? No. <laughs> we have to wait for the princess to get comfortable. <laughs> just going in. Yeah. Oh, awesome! <laughs> I just can't get comfortable, man. What am I supposed to do? Sit in the goddamn chair. Is that a bra? What is this? That's my headphone case. Oh, sure it is. <laughs> I have a bra on my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one too. Well, I like them big. Are those Dr. Are you, Dre style beats? Beat, uh, yeah, they're the uh, the um, executive. No, the studio. Oh, nice. Are you comfortable? Yeah. Did you say you were drunk last time we did this? In, yes, half drunk. Right, we were drinking bourbon in the room. Yeah, we had like ice clinking in the background the whole time, which that was, was cool. That was a nice touch. <laughs> we don't have that. I've got I've got a, a nice mellow beer. 
and full belly. Feeling. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I have a heart full of friendship. <laughs> <laughs> not for you. Of course not. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Okay. Um, all right, so last time we spoke, Punk Rock Jesus was just coming out. And your star was on the rise, and it's risen considerably more. Yeah, that's the rumor, I guess. Well, <laughs> do you feel that that's true? Um, yeah. Um, I, uh, it's funny. It's like um, when I was getting out of college and I was very insecure about where I'd end up and how I was going to get there. If you had told me, like, here's going to be, here's you at age 34, I would have jumped up and down. But if it's a gradual change over time, there's never that jump up and down moment. It's just a, a new exciting thing happens. You're like, all right, awesome. And it's, you, it's cool for five minutes, but then you got to get back to work. Right. You know? I think that's an important thing to make because people do live under, especially in, in our culture, mm-hmm. people assume, and you can move all that stuff. Just You cold? Okay. I feel like we're going to have feedback or whatever with that. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, people, uh, ex- it almost seems like people are expecting to or assume that, that success is an overnight thing. And, and I think things like American Idol breed, breed that in people. And I don't understand that show because it's, here's an unrealistic break for you mm-hmm. if you want to be a singer. And then when they don't get it, they're crying and upset. It's like, no, now it's time to go work for it. Yeah. Like, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't get the break. There's nothing to be upset yeah. about. It's that like, thing, I don't want to have to work. now. Yeah, yeah. That thing you were supposed to be doing already, that other plan, right. go back to that plan. You right. Know? This wild card that you got handed didn't work out. And right. And, and even if you did one, it's probably going to bottom out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, right. So it feels like a series of, of, of small accomplishments, but the yeah. focus is on the work, so you don't see yeah. the difference. Well, the, I think that we remember the the success stories. Those stay with us more when... You know, Rob Liefeld makes him however much on that first issue of Youngblood. Those stories stick with us. Right. Um, and then there's the thing about, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand that even if an artist is a New York Times bestseller, even if he's a award winner of an Eisner or got a book that's got heat or buzz, it does not mean he's making a lot of money, he or she. It does not mean he's got the car he wants, that he's paying his rent, that he owns his house, that he's happy, that he's not worried. You know, that yeah, you're successful on the buzz level, but... That does not guarantee a, a steady career, you know? Right. Uh, well, right, right. And also, let's not miss... Your miss, your success wasn't just luck. Let's remember the amount of work that was, was put into building what you built. Yeah. There, I mean, I, I'd imagine there was some luck involved that things opened up when they did, but you were ready to seize it because of the work you had done. Yeah, I, I got it. I think I was um, sort of angry enough when I was younger that when luck happened, I just latched on with both hands. Um, when, uh, and I could probably say this now because the book's many years in the past. When I first got um, Joy the Barbarian, I admit I didn't really understand the, the genre so much. And I wouldn't say that's the type of book that I would go out for. But I knew that Grant Morrison was a name. I knew this was my chance. And whether the script was great or not, I had to force it to be good because I'm not going down again, you know? Right. And I had that that sort of anger from trying to make it previous years and having it not work out. So that's when I started to pull up all the stops. That's when I 
sort of hit one of the, the well, fuck you moment. I'm going to do this my way. And that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's an important moment. So well, even well, with like late scripts and stuff that, you know, incommunicado or whatever, I was determined to be like, I'm just going to draw something cool and you write around it later. Like, What were the jobs before that that you felt weren't getting you where you, you were trying to get to or um, weren't helping you move forward? I did Teen Titans for DC in 2005 and uh, I tried to fit the house style and I did it quickly on time. I thought I did a pretty good job for what they wanted. And they just put it on the back burner for five years, and they didn't really explain why. Well, let, did they put it on the back burner for five years, or they just canned it, and then you became so successful, they Both. saw... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, describe it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's one point of view. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so with all... Uh, how has all the success affected you, positively, negatively... Um, I think, um, positively, uh, I, I worry less about bills. I feel validated that I wasn't wrong. You know, you think that you're, you have the talent to make it. Um, and you're pretty convinced, you know, your level of, you, you, we must all boost our own ego a little bit just in order to survive. It has to happen, but you never know if it's actually true until you have evidence of making it, you know. Did you ever fear... Or have a fear or or a sense of doubt that you'd end up in mediocrity. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Is that a scary idea to you? Uh, when I was trying to fit uh, the editor's ideas of a house style, I think I was probably worried about that. But when I started to get some heat with Hellblazer, which was the first time I'd really done a book my way. Mm-hmm. And I started to get all these artists writing to me. It suddenly I, I struck a nerve with people I already respected. So I said, well, you know, at least if I die young, people will go, oh, yeah, he's an artist, artist. That guy's good. You should check him out. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it was a commercial success, I knew I wasn't going to be mediocre anymore artistically. So was it, was it more important that you – were you more interested in – respect amongst the, amongst the artistic community more so than sales and financial stuff? Yeah. Well, the, 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 th- the trifecta, as I would describe it, would be, like you said, approval of other artists, um, control of your career, make it for money, uh-huh. and then... Um, oh, what was the last one? <laughs> it sounded so good when I started this sentence. Oh, and sales. Just killer sales. And the first one I had out of those was artists respect mm-hmm. and then the one that came next was money and then the third one was getting control and really getting to pick my projects and my writers and my colorists and then the one that was the hardest was just flat out killer sales and that was the wake okay so the wake had really good what kind of numbers did the wake do uh issue one did uh man i don't know 50 or 60 oh great and then it settled in at like the 20s or 30s Okay, but then the trades came in and the buzz came in and the awards and all that. So, that's that's going mean, to continue like to grow. Top ten book, but right. I, but I, also, you know, I don't think you're gunning for top ten. Yeah, not not with. I mean, I think with doing what you want to do, how you want to do it, it's more about being true to your voice than yeah. Than I mean, and let's be honest, how many of your favorite bands are top ten bands? <laughs> how many of your favorite movies are top ten movies? Right. Yeah. Um. So uh, from where you stand now, is it 
a concern that it's all going to collapse under you? No. Uh, I always I felt like, uh, what was it, 2010, before this image thing started, I felt like I was on the Titanic, and I had a good rate at DC, so I was on the, the top floor of the Titanic, and the ship was sinking for the industry, and I was going to go down, but I was going to go down last. Right. With, right. With, the, <laughs> with a higher paycheck. But I was certain that this was just a matter of time before this thing sinks. And then um, Image oh, Saga started to sell really well in The Walking Dead. And then there was like a Image 2.0 thing happening right now. Right. And even sales of digital wasn't as scary as it didn't hurt um, physical copy sales at all. Right, right. And it ended up, ended up working out. Now it's booming again in the movies and it's, it's, it's crazy, you know? So that's where you're putting your so, foot into. Yeah, so the thing that made me not afraid anymore is... Uh, I have enough secure footing and enough relationships and I could produce responsibly and on time and keep the quality high. And a lot of other people in comics suck at business. <laughs> yeah. And if you are motivated and smart and thoughtful and try to have like a good five-year plan, you can run in circles around some of these assholes. <laughs> and I, I started to realize I'm actually pretty good at business, maybe better than I you am are. at art. And nah. I'm not afraid to say that. So I find I figure I'm gonna find a way to survive no matter what at this point, and I'm determined to. So right, right. So do you want to talk about what's going on with with your projects right now? Yeah, because um, you've got some really interesting stuff, new stuff happening right. that people probably most people will never experience. So I met uh, flew to L.A. last week or two days ago rather to meet uh, Christopher Nolan for Interstellar. Um, he is working with Wired Magazine to release an issue that's all about his movie. Um, and this isn't out as we're recording. This is this magazine will be out next month, and all this stuff will be okay. known. So this will be published after that comes out. I assume. yeah, this will this will at the earliest. This will be early December. Okay, that's perfect. Uh, so yeah, they I got an email and said, hey, you want to do this book with Nolan? I said I'd love to, but I can't. I'm doing a book with Mark Millar. And they said, well, um, it's only six pages. It's quick. You know, we need it done by October, so we're not going to waste your time. This was Wired Magazine then last year? Yep. You actually said no at first? Yeah, I turned it. I, I had no choice. I mean, I've committed right. to Mark. There's right. a that's possible movie deal there. I mean, right. that's, Nolan is awesome, but Millar is, is it's a different planet as far as what I can gain from that relationship. Right, know? right. So, so what you flew out to L.A.? Yep, flew out there, put me up at a hotel. Saw the movie. Uh, like a, a private screening? Yeah, we were at the Chinese Theater, like 10 of us. I was sitting next to him, uh, the Wired Magazine art director. He's already seen it, and the uh, movie's amazing. I mean, by the time this comes out, people are, will already know that Interstellar is probably the best thing since 2001. Right. Um, at least in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, after that, we met with uh, Nolan. I got to see some of the, uh, like, the sp- Spinning Top from uh, Inception and some of the original Batman stuff. And where where did you see that stuff? He has a house in uh, the Hollywood Hills. That's a oh, you went to his house. It's a production house. Oh, a production. House. So it looks like any other house. And suddenly we walk into a driveway and we go in and there's like a, a 1987 Honda Civic parked there. So you would never know that what takes place in this house is is Chris Nolan shit you know wow so i you know go in there he is shake his hand he's british i didn't know that (laughs) (laughs) um you know when we sat down and we chatted and talked about the you know 
what the pages were going to contain. It has Matt Damon in them, but it's not announced yet. So I said, well, does Matt have approval rights over his image or somebody else? Because I, I kind of know about that stuff. Right, so from tried to, Star like, Trek, right? Yeah. So I tried to set them at ease, like, you've hired the right guy. I'm thrilled to be here, but I'm not so thrilled that I'm going to lose my shit because I'm still a professional and I, I have something to bring other than just art. Like, I can probably tell you, you should get Matt's approval right now if we could do this or not or find another way around this, you know. And um, how, did he re- how did he respond to oh, that? Oh, he was great, man. He was... He was polite and he listened and he's a good manager and what i realized is i think why he's so successful is because he's he is an artist but he has enough um managerial skills to keep a group of people moving uh and he's good at like okay now you talk i'll listen to this now okay you follow that through and maybe later i'll agree maybe i won't and he's really good at uh, keeping the, the people around him moving in a good direction um and he also is a jack of all trades. I mean, he had this huge this conversation with the Wired guy about sound and about music and you know some of the stuff that he's that you hear in a Nolan movie is stuff that he's written on the script, like horn blow right here, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized, I mean, he knew like why emotional beats with music worked and why some some didn't, and it's just crazy. I mean, you know, it's not just like, hey, I'm a director, I get behind the camera. Hey, you, you know, act like you're an astronaut. Done, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was he is he a fan of comics or art? Did you talk about any of that? Yeah. Stuff? So he uh, saw he read some of the stuff in England, the black and white 2000 AD type right. stuff, and he said a lot of the stuff that they got from the states was without color. So I think he might have read Watchmen without color. Oh, really? Before they got in color or something like that, yeah. Huh. And I would imagine that he's, you know, down with Judge Dredd and some of the other stuff that those British sure, are. Sure, sure. Um, so that was it. You just you went out there, saw the movie, chatted, and... Yep. I showed him samples. Uh, I brought originals with me. I know he's a film guy, so I was like, hey, man, I'm analog as well. I don't use a Cintiq. Huh? Huh? You know? <laughs> Not quite like that, but basically exactly like that. D- so did you do you feel like you got a taste of what a Hollywood life is like? Well, a real... People... This, so I lived in L.A. twice, and there's the surface Hollywood stuff where people like, my guy will call your guy. You know, that... I guess fake is just the best way to yeah, put let's it. Let's get together, but I won't tell you. It won't right. commit. Yeah. And that's, you know, 95% of people there. But then you meet, like, a, a real professional who's who's there to work, and he happens to be in Hollywood, so I guess he's a Hollywood type, but he's not cheap like that. Right. And Nolan is the difference between like a working professional who's going somewhere and he's so motivated that people just follow in, in his wake and get in line mm-hmm. versus someone who's really not selling anything of high quality and they're just trying to maneuver in Hollywood until someone calls them on their shit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> do, do you do you getting that taste did that is that something you're like ah maybe i want to get more into this or you're like that was interesting and i'd like to go back to my normal life yeah uh it's interesting and i I like it and uh, you know as a i like to psychologically sort of break things down and and i saw how nolan was i'm like oh that's why this guy's on top it's not luck it's not even talent it's talent and managerial skills and steadfastness you know and uh, a lot of the lessons that I took from that are stuff that you can apply to comics. And he was talking about how small Hollywood is. Yeah. And I thought, well, comics is small, too. Yeah, yeah, very. And, and he goes, you know, I did this in some movie. And some guy 
ripped me off, and now I can't say anything. And I said, man, I've done this art technique, and I see people ripping me off, and I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically me and Nolan are the same. <laughs> do you do you bite your tongue with that? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. No good can come from me saying, hey, great technique. I love it when I first invented it <laughs> a year ago. Because <laughs> a lot of people, when they do that, they don't even know it. So right. if you would, if you would br- mention it, even politely, they might see it as an attack. They don't even know that they've done it, so they're embarrassed. Then they're apologetic, or they're mad. Is is that a, a newer approach for you? I just I feel like, I mean, just uh, we're friends, so you never have to bite your tongue with me. But do, do you ever? Do you feel like five, six years ago you would not have bitten your tongue? Yeah. So I mean, I think one re- one of the things that helps me survive as I move through this, this career is I sort of develop professional Sean and, you know, real Sean. And, you know, real Sean used to write journals about how he doesn't understand digital or you right. know, here's some inside scoop that might help you that's totally counterculture. Like, here's what the publishers don't want you to know, and it's true right. type stuff. Right, the exposés. Right. Uh-huh. And now I go, that's not going to help me. It's only going to upset DC or whatever company I'm working for. I gain nothing from this. It's only going to cost me, if anything, and my wife's going to be mad at me. Actually, I want to talk about this. Do you feel it didn't help you? I know it caused you some headaches, but it also got you quite a bit of attention and a lot of people looking your way. So I wondered, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this on the plane right in, because I, I, not for the podcast. I w- like, I just think like to myself, like maybe I need to stir up some waves a little more or because... I thought back to when you did it, it seemed from where I was sitting, like, I know it gave you headaches and I know, I know it gave you problems, but at the same time, I think maybe it helped you as well. So it it helped me, but I think you could argue that it hurt me more than it helped me. Okay. So I'd write, uh, for example, I had a, a blog once about the bullshit meter and I said, you know, here's a list of 10 things. The first one is the most egregious. That's, and that's bullshit. And that was like swiping another artist line for line. Mm-hmm. And most people would agree that's wrong. And at the bottom of the list was, um, you know, like uh, using Photoshop to actually uh, to type your signs. Like oh, them, right, right. Instead of actually hand lettering. Hand lettering right, now, okay. it would be awesome if we all had the time to hand letter because hand lettering is awesome. But towards the bottom of that list, I do some of those things. At the top, I never do any of those things. Like, I never trace a photo. I never swipe an artist. I never blah, 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 blah. As you got to the middle, then you saw people having problems, disagreeing with, with me, getting kind of angry. Now, I, I said that stuff, and I said it was just an opinion, you know. Sure. And it doesn't matter how I tried to, to package that. Um, 95% of people didn't get it or didn't care. 5% really got it, and they loved it because they were dying for information like that. And they knew even if they disagreed, they still got kind of what my point was. Uh-huh. Uh, and they would come up to me at shows and I would feel some kind of validation and I felt good. But I, when I, I stopped doing that because I'm, I thought, you know, if I have students in a school, which we can get into later, yeah. I can take five brains and give them my thing and focus on the people that are actually listening versus the 95% that are just going to get mad and try to, pick a verbal fight with me at some show at a bar one day, you know? Was that the primary motivation to start the school? Uh, well, yeah, one, that was part of it. The other is, you know, we found out we can't, we can't have kids, so we thought, well, this is a, a nice way to give back and to imprint on other people. 
in a helpful way. And the other thing was we had this house and we bought a summer home in Maine and we didn't really want tenants because we wanted to use it. So I thought, well, we have a school for like two weeks. The tuition, we can have an empty house and visit it when we want. Right. So it was kind of three reasons, I guess. So do do you want to talk about the school now or... Um, you want- that might be its own podcast. Okay. Whatever, wherever you want to go. Well, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'll, I'll go wherever you want. Um, we were just... So you think it just hurt you more than it helped you being as vocal about stuff as you were. Yeah. I, and I now you temper that. I do. I mean, I let it out one, a few times a year. I mean, I think you, we all have maybe five uh, wild cards a year that we can play. And if you, you do it too much, you're just an asshole and people are going to ignore you. If you never have a, a get angry at something, then you're probably missing something. But if you have that right reaction at the right time that's firm enough, maybe offensive, but if you know you're right or you have a decent point, it's okay to do that. Like a handful of times a year, that's it. If you you know, you see artists overplay it all the time and they just shoot themselves in the foot. Right. And people who never speak up at all. And that sucks too. Do you think if you would have kept going with it, your career would not be where it is right now? Uh, well, you know, the other reason I stopped is I just I kinda said everything I had to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't really have any new thoughts. Like that's pretty much it. Anything I've never had any more anything else that's blog worthy that I thought was worthwhile. Was uh was all the negative energy you were getting from that making you look at it a little differently? Yeah, I, look s- I, s- I started to really uh, despise uh, some cre- other creators. I was just I saw them as a bunch of thin-skinned, oversensitive, you know, poorly managed, under-motivated, insecure, <laughs> you know, social, retarded, never been laid. <laughs> Keep <laughs> going, going. You're on. doing great. <laughs> yeah, tell us how you really feel, man. <laughs> uh, and I obviously don't. I'm, I'm, you know, kidding around when I say that. Um, right. But uh, I, I realized, okay, so I apparently have a thick skin, which I never thought, because I always thought I was a crybaby. Uh, a lot of these why did you, did you really? Well, I thought I was because I was the only artist I knew growing up, so I was a sensitive artist. Sure. And when I went to art school and became professional, I realized I'm actually way more militant and businesslike than a lot of these other guys, mm-hmm. you know. And just because something someone says doesn't offend me, doesn't mean that they're not going to be offended if I said it back. Right. You know, like if I, I have people who would read my blogs, get pissed off, write me a response, but say, I'm only half done reading and I'm already mad. So here's my first response. And five minutes later, I would get the rest of their response. And uh, like they needed an anger break while they were <laughs> responding. And they would, I'm like, you know what? You don't agree. Fine. Don't read it. Don't follow me. I have a ton of artists. So I stopped following because I just didn't, I love their stuff and I didn't agree with them. I only have so much free time to read stuff, so right. why don't you just stop listening to me? But people would love to yeah, seek you out. Yeah, that's something I didn't understand. Yeah. When when something would flame up with with a DA post you made. Yeah. And I'd be talking to people like that. Sean's just speaking from the heart about what yeah. he believes. Why he yeah. he's not saying you you you. He's yeah. Just saying this is what I think. People are very sensitive, man. It's you know really uh, you got a lot of eggshells to walk around in this this industry, you know. Sure, sure. I hate it. And I, I've sort of tried to just stick to people that I know can take a joke, know I'm kidding, you know, pick my friends very carefully and really surround myself with the right kind of people. So I think that's important. Yeah, I think being at a show and spending like the con, just networking and trying to be in the right place, it's just, it's a recipe for, for driving yourself insane. Yeah. Anxiety and panic and yeah. anger and frustration. Yeah. 
just gets you nowhere. No, I know. I mean, it's, there's a little bit of that that's healthy, I guess, but there's so much of it. I was hanging out with some friends in Brooklyn, and um, it was at some... He was hanging out with some illustrators the night before, just regular illustrators. And he goes, man, I realized how negative and emotional and upset and bitchy comic book people are. Not everybody. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we tend to remember the, the more negatives. I certainly am more negative, and I try not to be. But he said that a lot of artists, they just talk about other stuff. They don't talk about their work or who's, what book's coming out, why that person doesn't deserve that success. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope it's not true. He really seemed to feel like comic people were slightly more negative than other sorts of artists. I think... From the little experience I've had, just from teaching and, and seeing the two different students and, and the workloads and, and knowing some successful illustrators and comic book artists, they're two very, very, very different industries. In the world of illustration, and I'm not talking about galleries, I'm talking about work-for-hire illustration, There, there's you can be an extremely successful illustrator and not not be a name. Mm-hmm. Like a, a rock, it, it's an industry that I think is bigger than ours. In, I think what what attracts us to comics is we get to be on. We get to. It, it's the medium, one of the mediums that allows for the artist vision to get to the reader with very little disruption in between. Right. In the world of illustration, the art directors are the rock stars, mm-hmm. and. So you're you're a hired hand in a lot of ways, and the art. I mean, we have editors, but they're not art directors. And and I think with an art director, it's you know you're like for ninety percent of the panels we create, it's our composition. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's and there's no filter on that. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think in illustration, it's much more of a, a hired hand or or a, a collaborative mentality, and that the artist there's very little room for for the artist's pure voice. I mean, sure, the style, and all, but what they're, like, we get to say what we want to say in a lot of ways that I think in a lot of other mediums don't. Right. So because we're going for something like that, I think there's more emotional investment. And then the other thing, I think, and I could be completely wrong, there's probably illustrators screaming at me right now, <laughs> but and uh, but I'm not completely ignorant on this. Yeah. Um. The other thing is we have to put in so much more time and get paid less. Yeah. I mean, it, like, I, I remember I'd have illustrators come take class with me and they just would drown on the first project. Just like, how the fuck do you people do this? Mm-hmm. And that's under school deadlines, which is nothing compared to the real world deadlines. And I know illustrators have tight deadlines, but, you know, a, a, a single panel illustration, which pays two to three times more than a comic book page, which is five or six single-panel illustrations, and they're, but they're not singular. They have to relate to each other, and they have to exist in a space that makes yeah. sense, and it, it, there's just a lot more to it, and, and the pay's not as great. So I think there's... It just... It's, it's, it's a breeding ground for some frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just my opinion. No, I, I, I agree, man. I feel like... Uh you know, and I, I probably sound like I, I'm bagging comics a lot, and I, I don't mean to, but I, I do believe, and I love it. Obviously, I love it because I of course do it for a living, but, and, I, and I love what it offers. I love it. It's basically you doing a movie alone. Mm-hmm. Like, it, comics comes factory installed, but that's perfect. That's all I need. Right. All this, you know, event 
stuff and superheroes like all that shit does nothing else for me at all right um right. but i think it's the hardest type of art job you could have because you need to learn how to do so many things agreed i i think that's part of what attracts i know me and people like you is well let me ask you this are you good at math uh some like like algebra yeah not good at uh theories and okay but up to high school like geometry algebra i was too and i I, what i and i i was i I remember my friends hated me because i i actually enjoyed geometry and algebra like i i enjoyed it and i i enjoyed the problem solving of it Mm -hmm. and i always saw comics as that problem solving element and it's just so damn challenging and relentlessly challenging that that's what keeps me coming back to it. Yeah. Is it's constantly challenging me. I agree with you completely. My best page is when I'm challenged. If I have a talking heads easy page, usually I take a break for too long and I lose track of what I'm doing. And it's yeah. when it's like a super hard problem that I actually focus. And some of the hardest problems are <clears throat> just what you said. Here's a, a talking heads four panel page. Yeah. I've got to figure out how to make that interesting. I've yeah. got to figure out how to make it have a rhythm and a balance to the page. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I don't remember where we were going with that, but yeah, no, that, I, 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 I agree with you, man. And I, I think that comics is incredibly hard. I mean, learning how to, when you know, a Jackson Pollock, it's like, what is he saying? It's like, oh, it could be this, could be that. It's so nebulous. Yeah. Even like uh, actual paintings of actual things, the, the point of the piece is still somewhat nebulous and debatable. But with comics, it's like you need to convey that Spider-Man is definitely swinging from a building. He's definitely angry about Mary Jane. He's definitely, you know. Yeah, that's what. It, uh, yeah, it attracts me to comics a lot. Is is um, the importance in communication and clarity? Clarity, yeah. That I feel is so lost in so many things, and it, it's it's. Uh, I I don't like ambiguous movies. Mm-hmm. I don't like modern art. I, I was wondering when we were going to get on to a Jeff Koons rant. <laughs> yeah, I, because I just think there's so much bullshit involved in yeah. all that. And it's such a cop-out to say, you decide. Yeah. Because the hard thing is to make the decision right. and do it clearly. Yeah. This is like, I want people to 90% feel exactly how I feel when reading Punk Rock Jesus. There's probably some room for interpretation. Sure, you can't get anybody exactly on point with you. But it's such a deliberate, like, you need to make your audience feel this way. You don't get to just paint a gallery and go, well, I'm a genius. And here's my, I'm wearing my, my hipster torn jeans and <laughs> I'm going to arrive late. And blah, 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 right. You know? I'm the, oh, I saw a great, um, a great little comic strip this morning. Um, the illustration professor at, at Scat Atlanta had, had posted and it said, um, an artist is someone who, doesn't play by the rules, who shows up when they want and is aloof. And there was this duck and it was just like, just think of like what the general perception of an artist is. Yeah. Like doesn't care, just I'm the artist, I'm precious. Yeah. And then next to it, it says a professional artist is, <laughs> and it lists like everything that, that a, a real artist is. It, right. It's No, you're, you are following the rules. You are worked right. overworked. You're not just like, Working when you feel inspired, and it was a drawing of a duck that was just beaten down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was pretty yeah. poignant. I was I was reading a book about uh, Beethoven. I, I have a 
I have a real bone to pick with artsy fartsy behavior. I really get Me offended too. by that stuff. And Me when too. I, artists who I love, when I meet them and I see that they're artsy fartsy, I'm like, how did you? You're not in charge of your career. Like, yeah, I don't feel inspired. <laughs> I can't do this today. Like, I, I want a guy who's on point and talented. You know. Right. A real artist is like whether or not you're inspired, you do it. You sit down and you yeah. draw. It's not about I'm not in the mood. It's about do yeah. it. So this book about Beethoven, and I sometimes repeat this phrase to myself, uh, Beethoven's landlord. And I probably told you this before. No, I don't think I've heard this. All right, so this is a true story as far as I know. Uh, so Beethoven was, you know, medium wealthy. He was clearly a genius. He was uh, kept by his friends, and many of his people who paid him to do their private parties were, you know, rich, wealthy people of, I don't know, Vienna, whatever the hell he was living. So he made a lot of, some, he made a decent living with millionaires looking after him. Uh-huh. And then he had other musicians making sure that he bathed before he showed up for a meeting. And so he was that artsy-fartsy guy who just was a genius and knew it and wanted... So he rents an apartment above his landlord's uh, house. And what apparently he's got, a, I just imagine, an empty house, pillow on the floor, and a piano. Uh, piano in the middle. Yeah. And here he's jamming away, knowing that he's, you know, freaking Bon Jovi of the piano. <laughs> or uh, suddenly he's like, man, I'm really hot. Uh, there's no air conditioning. So he grabs a bucket of water. And he dumps it on himself, like a gallons of water. goes all over the floor. He starts, and he continues to play. Meanwhile, his landlord, one story below him, sees suddenly he's getting rained on. So he looks out, he's like, what the fuck? He walks up the stairs, I imagine, you know. Hey, Beethoven, you know, and he doesn't care how brilliant Beethoven is. He's like, hey, what's up? Hey, what the fuck, man? It's raining outside. I don't think the pipe's broken. It's like, hey, man, well, you know, I was hot, and I had a bucket of water, and whatever, man. I'm creating art fusion. And uh, this, that's not even the worst thing. So landlord, you know, goes away saying, oh, God, I wish I could evict this guy, but, you know, Vienna land rules, you know, don't let me, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, two days later, uh, Beethoven pounding away, you know, wishing he was the next Bon Jovi. Uh, and suddenly he looks at his wall and realizes there is a field through this wall. I would love it if there was a window here because that field would really inspire me. Oh, I'm going to take a sledgehammer and oh, make a hole God. in that wall. So in this room is apparently also a sledgehammer. <laughs> grabs it, ma- makes a hole, you know, not even a delicate hole, <laughs> but just, you know, mauls the wall. You know, landlord downstairs, hear all this, this, this ruckus. He's like, what the fuck? Walks up the stairs. Hey, Beethoven, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Opens the door. Hey, what the, you just made a hole? Like, you don't even own that wall. It's like, well, man, you know, I was creating art fusion, and I decided blah, 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 blah. So these are things that actually happened to Beethoven. Now, when we think about Beethoven, we think of he is one of the, um, pinnacles, the geniuses of art. Him right. and Mozart, he's our go-to. Like right. you're no Einstein, you know, you're no Beethoven. Right. But imagine if you were that landlord at that time, and you're just patching over this wall and drying out these floors, and you were just so livid at the sky. Now, I wonder how much better and more known Beethoven would have been if he had a business sense too, because he did really well. Because luckily, he had friends who took care of him. And none of us remember the stuff that he did wrong. Right. If he was actually, um, you know, Steve Jobs mixed in with an artist on the piano, he yeah. might have been 10 times as bigger. And I was watching the Jimi Hendrix documentary recently, and he's a genius too. And luckily, he got surrounded by the right people. Right. There were probably 100 Beethovens who, because they were socially inept, never sure. made it. Right. And it's, it's, it's actually, you could, and, and you know, we know a lot of artists who might be the best in the industry. Yeah. Who people have no idea who they are. Because yeah. we know who we're talking about. We won't say their names, but it's heartbreaking. It's 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 hard. Because it's like, dude, if you could just give away ten percent of your skill, and 
you trade that for like now you know how to wipe your own ass and get your contracts done correctly, you would do ten times better. But because you are all artists and zero business person, you are never going to be known. But even more artists. than that, it even it goes beyond. It's not just you're not a business person. You're not you're not living in the world. You're you're in your head and in your apartment, yeah. and yeah. that's that's not a life. I don't think so. But there's people who make it like that all the time. Yeah, I, I've never. I thought. I mean, I. I would love to have had friends just look after me and take care of me and do the right thing. But the way I found to make it is to just deal with the stuff myself, hire the right lawyer, do the right research, come yeah. across the, the correct way, dress properly, and try to be more like uh, Beethoven's landlord than Beethoven. Yeah. Because if you want the money, you got to go to the suits. The suits do not speak artsy fartsy. So all that shit you're feeling about your panels and like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this background and I'm doing the right thing. Like save that for your friends or your friends' podcasts. <laughs> um, when you're in that meeting, you got to speak. You got to speak lawyer. You got to speak suit. You got to show them that you're not like those other artists out there, and you are the guy they want to hire because you talk. You speak their language. They've right. got the money. You want the money. You got to put on a suit and go get it. Yeah. You know, you can be insecure on your own time, but when you got to be on, you got to be on. You got to put you know? your game face on. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good advice. In fact, I thinking, I just did that on Wednesday. Yeah? Yeah, I was in Mark's office. I don't, I didn't, I didn't self-deprecate. <laughs> <laughs> you can I, tell me later, man. I, I will, I will. You can, it was can, good. Uh, talk about but it. But I also, I'm in a place where I feel good about my work. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like all the time I did put in, now it, everything's clicking and, yeah. and it, it's flowing out of me quickly and smoothly and yeah. sure I see lots of areas I can improve on but that's something I see as like a fun challenge like let me get better at that instead of oh yeah. god I suck yeah yeah it's funny I, you might have done this too is when an uh, editor would come up and say I love this page and I would think you like this page that's the worst page in the book let me tell you why you're wrong for liking this <laughs> yeah, page yeah. and I had to get my insecurity out first and I realized don't say any of that stuff yeah. say, thank you you say maybe we can work together someday I'll see you at the bar later and let me buy you a drink that's it you know that's perfect yeah Especially the drink. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, that is that is key yeah. in the in this. It's a big part of this business. Yeah, I mean something as simple as like I I, I had um I, I don't need I had lunch in San Diego with an with an editor. Yeah. Um, and me and me and my writer and we paid for lunch, and it was just like you know you've you've given us a lot of work and you know let us. Let us do this. I, mm -hmm. I know you have an a, a expense account, but this shows uh, a gratitude yeah. for for stuff. And yeah. uh, buying a drink is the same thing. Yeah, I think so too. Let me ask you this: something I've been trying to wrestle with. I've been listening to Brett Easton Ellis's podcast lately. The writer, you know, Brett Easton. I, I do not. I'm okay, sorry. he he wrote Less Than Zero. He wrote American Psycho. Yeah. He um he was published um while a student. Uh, he was at a time thought of this generation's writer. Um, he has a voice and, uh, he's written a ton of screenplays and a ton of novels. Uh, he lives in Hollywood. Um, and he's been very critically, um, acclaimed, but he's also been very controversial. Mm -hmm. You know, some people hate his stuff. Some people love it, but he's, a, he's a very good writer yeah. and, you know, history will, will remember him. Yeah. He's not like a pop writer. He's a writer. So he has this podcast. Now, just keep in mind, like I keep saying he's a writer for a reason. Right. Because I never thought of novelists. Like I know how cartoonists are and everything we've been talking about is very much from how cartoonists see the world. And that's why we're doing this. So 
and, and because he writes screenplays, he gets involved with movies. And a common complaint he has, and this is a conversation that I think is just fascinating, is a lot of people talk about today, and you and I have probably had the same conversation where like a lot of the, the true, good, creative visual storytelling is being done on TV, not in the movies. Partly because of, of the, the way distribution and, and the way movies are made, it has to be this big, huge budget thing that makes everyone in the world want to see it. So you can't, you know, turn anyone away from it. So it has to please everyone in order to make good money. Or it's the smallest of small budget, you know, indie film or horror film that didn't cost much to make but can make some money. That mid-level movie, probably all the great movies we grew up on, are 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 not being made by Hollywood studios. No. And so it's being done in TV. True Detective, The Sopranos, The Wire, uh, you know, on and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so Brett Easton Ellis disagrees that the good stuff is being done on t- TV. And, and he says, the main reason he says this, and this is where I think we, we could really probably talk for days. He says that TV is slave to story and he doesn't like that. Now that goes against everything I believe. Yeah. Isn't that what we're doing? And he's like, what I like about movies is movies create atmosphere and it's not about the story. It's, it's about the moods and this and that. Well, I think all of those are successful tools to tell the story he would like a movie where maybe the story doesn't make much sense, but there's tons of atmosphere and mood, and he doesn't like the TV stuff because it's slave to story. And that got me thinking, well, is that how a novelist thinks? Like, it got me thinking about books. Books are not slave to story. Um, you know, writers, well, it, worst case scenario, and I, I know it's, it's thought of as a great book, Moby Dick. It's all atmosphere. It's all... Mm-hmm. Information with the story being a very little part of that book. Yeah, I agree. And like on the road with Jack Kerouac, is right? Just atmosphere. Exactly, exactly. For me, it's not enough. Yeah, and and I, on the road was never a book that that there were moments that I really enjoyed, but never loved. I wouldn't say on the road is something I read more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about the sto- the books that I really enjoyed, and I, I mean. There's there's elements of atmosphere, but there's a real story at hand. Yeah. So, how, how hearing that statement, like, do you think all the good stuff is being done on TV, and we should be slave to story? Yeah, I agree. We should be slave to story. I think story creates atmosphere. Atmosphere does not create story. Yeah, I agree. I think what happens is the artist's ego gets in the way, and that's what's happening with yeah with Brett Easton Ellis. And I think that is, and this might segue into your downfalls. I think that's the downfall <laughs> of the artist. When they no longer yeah. feel the need to let the story dictate what should be done, and they feel the need to dictate what should be done because I feel like doing this, yeah. and the story can take a backseat, and I think you lose your audience. That's, but th- I call that like art, that's artsy fartsy behavior for me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the this is this is another inflammatory statement. This is why I don't enjoy David Lynch films. Do you like David Lynch films? Not really. He's a Sixteen Candles, that kind of thing. No, no, no. Um, um, Blue Velvet. Oh, that's that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Yeah. So all atmosphere, 
Like Twin right. Peaks. Everyone's all on a hype because Twin Peaks is coming back. Right. I, and I actually, I had a good talk with Cameron Stewart about this because he loves David Lynch. And I respect Cameron. He's a great artist, a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. I don't get it either. And there's a lot of writers that do this in comics too. And I, I don't, clearly there's a need for them. You know, I mean, apparently there's audiences that want that stuff. And they're into comics for different reasons than I am. As an editor, I would hire. As an editor, I would hire some writers. I would never work with as an artist because I would understand that, you know, oh, you have your R and B artists. You need a classical here too to balance it out. You know, right? Not everyone wants to hear rock and roll like I do, and that's cool. But yeah, 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 I agree with that. And and I and I will also defend that David Lynch is an important filmmaker. Yeah. To study and and watch films of. Right. My tastes don't fall. Right. where his movies are. Yeah. But I do watch them, yeah. and they do get me thinking. And I think what people like David Lynch do is they do tend to push the boundaries and make us think outside the box a yeah. little. But yeah. it is a bit, a bit self-serving what yeah, he yeah. does. I mean, I'm not into redheads, but I'm glad they're there. Not, not at all? <laughs> it was a horrible segue. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody with red hair, just sure turn this off. Um, yeah, man, I agree, I agree with you. Well, you and I are, are sort of classical and our story first, clarity first. Yeah. Drawing second. You yeah. Know? And I think it takes a lot to admit that your drawing has to serve uh, something else that's sort of hard to put your finger on in, in that story. Sure. But I also think comics are most effective. Like a good, a good comic book artist is telling the story in such an interesting way mm-hmm. that it's affecting the readership. So, I mean, there's plenty of artists... Who, who I love, and, and their artwork might look clumsy to an outsider, but when you read what they do... And this is actually something that I, I get a little frustrated with with our industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people read comics. I think a lot of people look at comics because you see... Like, I'll see a book praised, yeah. and then I'll read it, and it's like I can't even... I can't figure out what panel to read next. Right. Yeah. Or what happened to, you know, this character. It yeah. just disappeared for four pages. Right, right. And... It it just I feel like this is really actually quite frustrating to me. I spend a lot of time thumbnailing because that's my I feel like that's where the the yeah. the meat of what we do is done and and there's plenty of books and artists and writers who who are whose works are are critically acclaimed. But right. I, I read it and I'm just like I don't think you read this. Well, I, I don't I agree, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong about that because. You and I are specialists. We're supposed to understand it 100%, and we do. If people were specialists like us, if readers were specialists like that, if they were yeah. capable of reading a book like we are, then they would be doing our job. Oh, that's so a good point. by nature, if you're a car designer, you know a lot about cars. Very but true. when that person buys that Honda Fit and that soccer mom drives it away, of course she doesn't appreciate it. And it's that just, goes right back to what I said earlier. My favorite bands are not on the top 10 yeah. billboard list. Yeah. I just think it's part of uh, being an expert in something, and you hand it off to someone who's... Um, a tourist, and they, they do it for fun, or they do it right. to escape. Sure, you know they're never going to know why your background was the perfect decision in panel three. Yeah, they're, they're not ever. That's a good point. They might get a whiff of it, and they might like it for reasons they can't describe, and they probably will keep buying it. Like if you're a quality storyteller, they, I think that will get through. But they're never yeah. going to understand every every wire. That's true. You know. All right, that's good. Um, so the five downfalls. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to segue. Okay, cool. so, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we talked a little bit about this over lunch. Yep. You you have it. So you created these five five downfalls of a successful artist. 
it was now before we explain them was this because you were like i i could downfall let me figure out what would ha- cause that to happen right. so i can make sure that doesn't happen right so I, I i don't even know if it's five it's just i've noticed like what are the things that are taking out artists how come a lot of people don't retire wealthy or how come a lot of these guys are not happy or jaded what are the things like there's got to be a category of, of the different things that can take you down and i thought i wonder wonder what mine is and um one of the reasons that i started thinking about this was sort of some of the sexual harassment stuff happening in comics Uh uh-huh and you know artist or writer x was harassing artist or writer b and she feels this way it's he said she said and i thought man like that's one career killer right there is that accusation or a blunder on twitter or freak out on a blog or something mm-hmm. that goes viral and your career has, it takes a real hit. Maybe you can get it back, maybe not. Well, this just this just happened. Uh, th- there's um, uh, a radio show, Opie and Anthony. I don't know if you've ever listened yeah, yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, I started in Boston. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I love Opie and Anthony. It's, it's just <laughs> fun, funny, ridiculous. Lots of great comedians. Yeah. But you heard what happened to Anthony. Not recently, no. Okay. Well, he's no longer on the Opie and Anthony show. Oh, okay. He was, from what I can remember, and my facts might be a little messed up, but from what I can remember, he was in Times Square. And he was attacked, physically attacked. I mean, it, it, it was a little like, it didn't start as, it wasn't an attack that came out of nowhere. It was uh, someone, uh, he was trying to take a picture and someone bumped into him and then he got angry and they got angry and she physically attacked him and she was a black woman she physically attacked him yeah he did nothing back to her physically nothing he uh you know he was very innocent in this situation mm-hmm. uh very angry in this situation and went on a twitter rant yeah um and I, d- I didn't see the tweet, so I don't know the exact words, but I know he called her a savage. Mm-hmm. And he called her a lot of things that, put in the context that this is a black woman, people could manipulate to be seen as a racist statement. Now, Anthony is very inflammatory, mm-hmm. and he makes statements. I, what I think, and I think this is a big problem right now, this, this culture of victims who are running everything. I'm a victim. Look at me. I'm a victim. And don't make me feel like a victim. Uh, Anthony is just honest. And he had, he was very close friends with Patrice O'Neill who's a very outspoken black comic. And Patrice O'Neill would never say Anthony was a racist. Right. And, but other people were always saying he was racist. He was honest. I I I just, I think is the truth. He's just honest. I don't think he was racist at all, but this rant went down Mm -hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and he was fired. Right. This was not done on the clock. Mm-hmm. This was not done on the show. Mm-hmm. And this had nothing to do with work. But yeah. the next day, he was fired. Yeah. Now, the executives, this is a big moneymaker for them. And he was a constant headache. Like you talked about earlier, he was always doing things to... Yeah to nudge them and piss them on purpose. Right, yeah. Um, part of what Opie and Anthony do on their show is push what they can get away with. Right. And that's part of what makes it pretty funny. <laughs> um, but what I, I think what happened is the downfall of Opie and Anthony was inevitable because everyone wants to cry victim. Yeah. And nobody... I, I think this PC shit's gotten so far out of control yeah. and nobody can be honest. And everything has to be homogenized into a... A corporate, everybody's 
okay and everything you do must please everyone. Yeah. But th- so so that's what happened to Anthony. Th- that Twitter meltdown yeah. cost him his job, right, which yeah. was a very high paying job. Yeah. Now he's landed on his feet. He he what he did which was smart was he spent a lot of money um as he was on the opening Anthony show building a studio in his house which he now has his own live podcast video podcast right. which is a subscription based service which i think is the future mm-hmm. i don't think you're going to need the big radios i don't i don't companies you're not going to need the tv networks you're not going to need the movie studios right. we can do this ourselves and he's okay but he's not making as much money but yeah yeah it broke up that show because of a fumble. So go ahead. Yeah. The other well, ones. That sounds. That's that's what I mean. I think the one curricular would be the first one would be uh, social social blunder, and that's a Twitter thing, or you, you sexually harass, or even like a, something that's not even your fault can take you down because it's such a hard mark to get off your back, even if it's not true. You know, someone accusing you of racism or whatever, it's going to stay with you. You know, so that's something that I think about, and I think I don't think that's likely going to be my thing yeah yeah i'm pretty good at that and, yeah um make sure i'm surrounded by people who trust i trust who can vouch for me having appropriate behavior versus you know and i have like female 50 percent women readers and i couldn't afford to to try to hit on them or to upset my wife or anything like that and right i don't know so that was first one was okay the second one would be uh burnout right just Working too hard, not making enough uh, advancement, you know, feeling unappreciated. One day you're 60, you barely can afford your kid's college still, and you hate yourself. That's probably one of the more common career killers is burnout. Okay. Um, another one, three, would be um, too much success too quickly. Yeah, I think that's a big one. The people who make it quickly, the, I made it slowly. And when I meet someone who made it quickly, I can tell. I think it's important for people to know you made it slowly because I'm not sure that they really understand that. Right. Because you put in a long haul mm-hmm. and when you hit, you hit big. Right. But there was a whole history there that I don't think people saw. Right. You know, and you wear, I mean, we people who work their asses off and get there slowly, we, we all know who made it fast, who cut the right. line, so to speak. And it's not, you know, it's... I'm not trying to sound bitter and jealous if someone didn't have any um, troubles making it. Cause I right, and it's great. not it's not like it's their fault right. that they that luck fell on them. And no, no. It's just I think when you work hard for it, you it's more precious and and right. and you respect right. You know where it comes from but, on a different level. But when and I, so they have a, a success early on and quickly, but because they've never had to learn social maneuvers and stick to and all that, there's something that throws them a curve and they don't know how to deal with it, you know, or they obsess about it or, and whereas you and I would be like, whatever, man, it happens, you know, it's right. like, that's, that's something that you only get if you spend enough time in the dirt. And when they are walking on a, you know, golden path into comics, spouting off about what they know and what they think, it's like, yeah, I appreciate that. But that holds very little water with me because you yeah, know, it you were, and this the writer made you, or this book made you, right? You and, and you reek of inexperience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess feel I feel like they're in danger of being knocked off very quickly because they have such a rickety path that they that they made and with that they don't have the consistency and the um, thick skin that someone like you know Rick Remender might have, or someone like maybe you and I are 
took us a while to get in. And right. I like to think that that means something, and I'm pretty sure it does. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I had a hard sh- schlog through it, and going through it sucked, but I wouldn't change it. Yeah. It, it was important to go through, and yeah. it ha- it was... If I would have gotten success immediately early, I would have been an asshole. Yeah. I, 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 I really, I, I, I can You're see... more of an asshole. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A different type of asshole. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a broken, bitter, cynical asshole. I would yeah. have been an arrogant, <laughs> shit asshole. Um, so the fourth one was uh, drugs. It would be a, a substance. Sure. And that can be... That could be sex too. It could be women. It could Absolutely, be men. Yeah. Whatever. Or trying to fill the hole that's infillable. Right. And and yeah. And it would mean if you start like dating girls or guys that show up in your line and, and picking from people that are already fans of yours and you have unbalanced relationships and sort of social corruption. Would that also include like someone who's not getting work done because they're being invited to every convention and they're on panels and they're getting interviewed. The, and that, six, that the fame drug, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And this probably crossover with fame drug and um, making it too quickly, you know, that kind of that right. takedown. Right, And uh, the, the last one I could think of, and it's probably more, but uh, it's so, so much success that you're, you're, uh, you have too much power and you don't have to answer to anybody anymore. Right. And it's almost like George Lucas syndrome or something. Right. And I'm not bagging him because I, I have Hollywood friends now and I don't want this to ever get back to him. Hopefully that's ridiculous. Uh, my, this podcast yeah, is going to end up with George man. Lucas's test. Well, now that I'm like, working with Millar and Nolan. And these, sure. These no, I get it. Him, so well, I, I, I think, from I think part of that, down. right. I think part of it is, um, uh, uh, you said George Lucas. So I'm just thinking of that name. Let's just say director X. Okay. Um, before they're popular, uh, they might have a real raw ability. Right. But they need people around them, um, mentors, yeah. editors, whoever, to help make their vision yeah. clearer. Yeah. And, and I very much will say, I think one of the things I've said recently is, one of the realizations I've had recently is, as a cartoonist, one of the most important relationships you can choose is what editor are you working with yeah and it's important to uh, i think that's really important because a good editor brings out the best in you and you're not alone so then you're right you make it too big you no longer listen to the people that made what you do so good and now it's not as good right yeah yeah and that's the one that if i feel like i'm out of these five and i'm curious what you think yours would be i think the thing most likely to take me down would be that the George the ex, ex, whatever we call it George Lucas syndrome we'll just call it um, it would be because I I wrote my own book it sold well and it showed I don't know if I need a writer anymore and that's a huge um, asset right to draw your own stuff confidently and to make money you don't need anybody at that point it's right. like scary power and, and when I finished punk rock and saw how well it did and I'm I'm not a great writer I'm an okay writer but I can draw my stuff. The storytelling I can do very well with my own stuff. Like my writing for someone else, we'll, we'll see. Well, w- was there an editor involved heavily in that process? Yo, so Karen Berger helped me see a lot of things that I wouldn't have caught if I had done the book and image, for example. Right. And I was, you know, and I, I've never forgotten any of the lessons that she sort of taught me. And one was there aren't enough female characters in this book. And I look back now and I go, duh, why did, not, why did I have 
these characters as men and not have more women. And it seems so obvious now. So we'll make right. that mistake again. Okay. And then, you know, she wanted to consolidate a lot of the story and, and cut out some scenes and edit it a lot. And uh, I would feel that punk rock, I would have loved another issue to let it breathe more. Uh-huh. Because the ending was a bit abrupt, abrupt. But I did the best I could with the format. Um, but what that whole process showed to me was I have a lot of power because I don't even need to be... a, a, a an amazing writer, I can just do it confidently and draw it okay. So right. that's it. And you've been vocal about that, which yeah. I think is great. So if I don't, if I have a fight with a writer, I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. I can kickstart my own thing now. Right. I mean, that's a lot of power that uh, I, I think about. So um, you think if any of them would be your downfall, that would be the one? Yeah. And the more I start, you know, with Millar and, you know, there's always talks of movies with his stuff and working with Chris Nolan. And I mean, my, my wife keeps me grounded and I'm always pretty hard on myself but I feel like if there's one of those five things that's going to get me it might be that I become a, a rich hermit that doesn't answer to anybody and then right. I lose my way that way so you have my permission to knock down my door if that ever happens please <laughs> yeah well I think it's important that yeah. we've we've talked earlier about someone who you're friendly with yeah and we're just trying to understand why this person feels so connected to you and it, mm-hmm. it just comes down to the fact that you're probably one of the few people that's really honest with this person yeah and I think you and I have relationships with very yeah. with the same people yeah. that we do help each other. I mean, part of it is I got a wife and kids. Like, yeah. like my kids get excited and and start to say things like "Daddy's famous." I'm like, no, I'm just dad. Like, right, right. Uh, I'm, yeah. and and I'm not like they. I mean, I'm, it's nice. They're very proud of me. They don't see like where I am in in the rankings because right. it's not very high. Yeah, but. You I know, tell them a lot that I say your your dad is not that great. So good, they, they good. From yeah, yeah. Please tell them more because <laughs> they need to be uh, brought back down to reality. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's that that that. I mean, your wife, my wife, it, it keeps you grounded. You know, yeah. But you have kids keeping you grounded too, which yeah. is great. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I don't, I don't even have that. I mean, so. at, no matter like, I had diarrhea all over my hands, changing diapers while yeah. getting vomited on, like. But it was your diarrhea and your diapers. Right. And it was, it was last <laughs> night. <laughs> Poor cleaning service. Give them a good tip, man. I tipped them really well. <laughs> I don't mean to, to cut you off. But no, you're right, man. I, I mean, out of those five things, what do you think your downfall might be? All right. Be? So let's run down. Let me take them one by one and tell you if, I'm, if I think that could happen or not and why. I mean, we should, I'll, I'll write this down somewhere on my DVR page or whatever. Okay, great. And we'll tie it into the release of this. Sure. Okay. So the first one was... Uh, uh, success too fast. Success too quickly. That didn't happen. <laughs> so we don't need to worry about it. I'm still, fi- I'm still looking for it. Uh, drugs or an um, addiction. No. Um, while I do, like you, enjoy um, letting loose and maybe having a drink or indulging in a drug here and there, I don't like the feeling of, like at a convention, you do it a lot. When I get home, I don't touch anything for weeks. Yeah. Because I, I feel yucky. Right. And also, my drive to produce is much stronger than my drive to escape. Right. So I don't think okay. that, that would happen. What about um, media, so, social blunder of some kind, either on Twitter or at a show or an event? It goes viral. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm in the middle on that. I could see something blowing up that I'm saying because I'm becoming more and more adamant that honesty is the most important thing. And I and I trust in myself. I'm not a bad person. Mm-hmm. I'm not a racist. I'm not a uh, a misogynist. 
I'm not, and I know who I am. So I feel like everything I say, I, I can stand behind. But I could also see how I, something I say, mm-hmm. someone who doesn't know me, the, the problem is, is how the media can twist things right. or how the shorthand of Twitter can falsify the intention right. of what you're saying. So right. I guess I'm in the middle of that. I mean, I'm very, this podcast for me and everything I'm doing now is really about me being honest to myself and honest with everything I do. Right. And I'm not going, and, and I've been a vocal person most of my life and I've stood my ground and I've, I've, I've done things that have, that have gotten me slaps on the wrist, but right. nothing worse than that. Right. Okay, so the last two, one would be George Lucas Syndrome and one would be Burnout. Um, George Lucas Syndrome, I don't know. I, I Like, you've had a taste of that power that you talked about. I haven't. So yeah. it's hard for me to say, but I'd like to believe that um, I, I, I tend to, and, and I'm, I feel better about my work now than ever, but I tend to not love what I produce. Right. Um, so, but I could, but if I were to become very successful, maybe that would go away and maybe that would become a problem. Right. And then what, what was the last one? Uh, burnout. When you, okay. I see burnout as two things. Mm-hmm. You described it as, um, just years and years and years of, of grind and ending up in mediocrity. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a horror story to me. Right. And that's a cautionary tale to me. I hope that doesn't happen. I can't, I don't know if I can control whether or not it does. Right. Um, but I will say that I am always looking at the future and what else I can do, how I can adapt, how I can change. This podcast is evidence of that. Right. Um, you know, what else? Like, I, I don't think of myself as just someone who draws comic books. I think of myself who, of, as a cartoonist, whose skills can be used in other areas. And as I become successful or hopefully successful, mm-hmm. I, I really hope to branch out into other things while doing comics to open up my opportunities. Um, I, I think that's what a good artist does. A, a good artist isn't just a one-trick pony. Um, you know, I think just the, the, the art of conversation and, and interviewing is something I've begun to explore with this podcast that I found I was good at and people respond to. So where could that take me? I don't know. It might take me somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I don't think the uh, landing in mediocrity is something I would ever let myself do. Um, I'm stubborn enough that I'll keep pushing. Mm-hmm. The other side of burnout is, as I see it, um, and we, we talked about this a little bit over lunch, um, working like like Joe Matarera. Right. Uh, someone who grinded, 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 and then found another avenue that was much more lucrative. And I, I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. I'm sure he's a, I mean, an extremely hard worker, but he, he found um, a, a more centered lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, this is a grind. Right. And so... I think I love comics too much to leave. I, I think Joe Matarera, I, I don't want to speak for him. This is a mm-hmm. perception of mine, yeah. is that maybe he loved drawing more than he loved telling stories. Right. So, yeah, it sounds plausible. Sure, whereas I love telling stories. It's a grind, but my goal and my hope is to land somewhere 
where I can tell stories at a pace that allows me to have a life. Like Mateo and I talked about yeah. just on, on his podcast. Is now Mateo's at a point where he has weekends off. Mm-hmm. Two days a week, he does not work. Yeah. I'm just drooling at the prospect of, can I have one day a week like that? Yeah. And, you know, and I think you and I talked about it. I feel like once the door opens a little bit, mm-hmm. you're given the opportunity to grind and work for about five years to get as much of that door opening as you can, to right. crack it wide open, to become much more successful to the point where you can slow it down a little bit and have a much more comfortable life. I think mm. the quality of work would go up right. and you can have your weekends off. Yeah. But burnout in terms of having to work seven days a week over and over, over, I don't know how long I can keep that up. Yeah. Uh, leaving teaching was me starting to burn out mm-hmm. and you know, I've got an energy, but I do think to myself, I, I can keep this up for a period of time. I hope yeah. I reach an apex before that happens. Right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. You have your window of maximum productivity with creativity and you hit the right projects you know, in a window and then at some point you plateau or you inevitably drop off. And I think that we all have a window. Right. Um, Scott Snyder and I talk about this a lot too is, you know, five years and then what, you know? Right. How do you extend that plateau on top, you know? Right. You just leave the Watterson style do the an epic mic drop, come back. On t- I mean, right. one thing we talked about was leaving when you're at your peak. And then when you sure. return, you actually like, hooray, Scott Snyder is back on Batman. Exactly. You absolutely return to where you were. And then you can extend that five-year window or you reinvent yourself like Madonna. Right. In different, you know, and that takes some marketing and a PR sense. Too, sure. Is- I think, and, and I think along those lines, and that's part of what I was saying over lunch was, that's why it's really important to me to keep a very low cost of living. I think yeah. a mistake and a trap people fall into is the more money they make, the more money they spend. So they create this monster that needs to be fed more and more and mm-hmm. more. And if, they're, if they have a slow year, it can all come crumbling down. It makes me think of that movie, This is 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about this scene a lot because it, it really changed the way I think. Right. Where Paul Rudd it was a very successful record producer and <clears throat> bought a huge house and has two kids and great cars and you know expensive everything and then decided to have his own music production company and brought an expensive space with beautiful logo mm-hmm. etchings on the wall and and uh, his company's not doing well and they're they're about to lose their house their marriage is falling apart it's all crumbling down. And he's invested all his money. Did you see this? No. Okay. He's invested all his money in uh, in a real musician, Graham Parker, who probably a lot of people don't know. Um, I remember just from the early days of MTV, he was on there. Yeah. But a lot of musicians really respect. He's not a big name guy, and he doesn't sell a ton of records. But he does what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, mm-hmm. and... And Paul Rudd's losing everything, and he's invested in Graham Parker, and the sales are coming in terribly. And Graham Parker just doesn't seem to be worried about it at all. And he's like, "Why aren't you worried?" He's like, "I discovered a long time ago the uh, the the meaning of life is to keep a small nut, keep a low cost of living." He's like, yeah. "I have a tiny little house. My mortgage is paid off. I don't have any debt, and you know, mm-hmm. as long as I just make enough to get by, which isn't much, I can do whatever I want." Yeah, and 
that that hit me. So I, yeah. I, I thought I thought that's important, and and it's it's a trapping, you know. And I can see it too, especially when you have a wife or kids, you know, like yeah, we could use some more space, or you know, I could yeah. use a bigger car because it'll be easier to fit everything in it. I also think that it's important in life to not be completely comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to to do things in life that cause you discomfort so that you're, you know, there's a danger in like everything's too comfortable, too comfortable. There's no yeah. challenge. Like, yeah. like, you know, my, my, it's a little chilly outside. I could use a jacket or not. I'm not going to wear a jacket. I'm going to be a little bit cold today right. just so that I can maintain that, that fight in me or, or that what, right, whatever right, you right. want to call it. Yeah. I think that's important. I was to bring up uh, Scott Slater again. Uh, I was at his place in uh, Long Island hanging out, <clears throat> and he was we were talking about motivation and about how a lot of artists and writers get caught up in comparing themselves to the people on the shelves that munch that month, month. That, yeah. And I'm they guilty. go, "Why did this artist get that book or this title?" And they yeah. get them. And the thing is, what they don't realize is that's not your competition. Right. It's so it's, important. For me, like Zafino, who's who's dead, or Topi, who's also dead, or Bill Watterson, who's basically dead <laughs> uh it's you're not in competition with the people around you so much as you are in competition with everybody at every time period always right and i think about and scott does the same thing is compare yourselves to hemingway compare yourselves to these guys like don't worry about the artist of the month or the writer of the month right go for the long game and right about you're right legacy when you're dead like who are people going to compare you to because that mon- monthly insecurity is it's just a losing game, you know? Sure, sure. And yeah, that's caused always... me a lot of unnecessary frustration. Yeah. Where it's just stupid. Yeah. And yeah, I say it's stupid. Like, those gods, even if you build them up in your head further than where they deserve to be, you know, Zafino to me is, is a god of inking. Yeah. And maybe some people would say, I I like Sean's inks better than his. I don't know why Sean likes this guy so much. I like him too, but I think Sean's onto something more interesting. There's people that say that. And I sure. Go, you know, maybe, but there's always something unattainable about Zafino. And that makes me, that's my jacket that i'm not wearing when it's cold out that's my uncomfort is Absolutely. to remind myself to, to push myself down while pushing him up and then i have something to reach for oh absolutely i do the same exact thing yeah same exact thing yeah all right cool <sighs> anything else you want to uh, talk about you know i'd love to talk about uh it would be safer if we had like a a, a girl here with us to talk about the sexism in comics as to you know white men in comics it's okay so very well <laughs> if i don't know if you've noticed i have a new soundboard here i see that and i have the ability to plug in eight microphones oh really so i can do groups you and me and eight women it sounds like the view <laughs> but i i think that's a good idea for a podcast yeah. i guess we'd have to figure out you know who we we who would want who would want to do get, it I want to get Fiona to do this because right. people, she said to me once, people are surprised that we're friends. And I go, why? And they go, because people think I'm really nice. People think you're not. And they, they go, the <laughs> only reason people like you is because they're like, well, Fiona likes Sean Murphy a lot. So he must not be a, t- a total, total jerk. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. I, I'd love to get her in here. I love. Uh, that sounds like, let's see if we can make that happen. And, uh, I, I know what to ask her and how to, how to get to her. And, you know, maybe if she listens to this, she's already going to say no which is probably smart, but having her weigh in on this stuff or if she's interested or Clunin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could definitely get someone. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I don't think Becky would shy away from that. No. I don't know yeah. Fiona to speak for her. She's awesome. She's like my favorite girl in comics. Yeah. I, I, had, I had a nice breakfast with her, with like Eric and Jason yeah, in, yeah. in Emerald City yeah. one year. Yeah. I thought of this last night. 
uh, I know we're wrapping up here, but I, I was at a... No, no, we don't have to wrap up. If you got more to talk oh, about, uh, talk. Yeah, well, we'll get a little bit into it, but again, we should wait till we have uh, some ladies here with us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I was uh, at a, some bar, drunk, and uh, someone comes up behind me, and they're short, because they wrap their arms around my stomach, and I'm like, who is this? I turn around, it's some some girl I've never met before. Yeah. She's, she's trash. Uh, she's like, oh, I love punk rock Jesus, and blah, blah, blah. You know, she was... She was just cute, whatever. But I'm married, and my rule is, I never do anything. If my, I pretend my wife is just looking at me all the time, you know. So yeah. if she hugs me back, I'll hug her. And you know, I really try to be very strict with myself because I don't want social media takedown. <laughs> right. <know? laughs> so uh, I and I, but I walked away because you know she had some friends. I think they were students, and people know I'm very student friendly. So they're you know all of them very you know polite, but but kind of handsy. And I thought, man, I would never if I was just a fan, go up to. Clooning and hug her from behind and go. I liked wolves. Never do that. No. But it happens in reverse, and I don't mind because I'm a dude and I think it's fucking cool. Right. <laughs> but we we talked about this over <laughs> breakfast with 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 Becky, and her response was, "Now you know how it feels." Yeah. But the thing is, guys. I mean, if women get you handsy, we can always karate chop our way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> with women, they're, sure. I, they of don't, course. you know, of course. And I think that's obviously one of the huge differences between the two. But I, I think about things that I I see that because my, my wife is a romance writer erotic right. romance it's an industry of women 90% women and it's like comics in reverse and I'm the dude at the party and people are interested in me just because I'm a dude you right know, I'm not obese white male uh, you know <laughs> and uh, I thought man if I started writing romance comics I would do a killing I don't even have to be good I'm just the guy in the room that stands out yeah. And, uh, well, there have been there are women in our industry who have built careers on the opposite of what you're saying. It's been a boys' club, yeah, and yeah, they 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 see a, a yeah. spot they can fill and yeah, and go and for I, it. I suppose it's inevitable, but you know I, that's why I really appreciate Clune and Fiona because they're genuinely talented, absolutely, and they don't go on feminist rants because they are artists sure. first. Well, I, I, but like I said earlier, I believe that this culture of victimization that people embrace yeah. is really for, you know, people are just looking for attention. Yeah. And someone like Becky is more interested in producing work than just getting attention. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and I think they're aware. I mean, they know if they cross the line into feminism, they become a feminist first and not an artist. And yeah. Art becomes secondary. Yeah. And I think they're smart to avoid it. Well, I think, I mean... People are dying to hear from this those is the, two about this stuff, but they won't say it because they're smart. Well, or maybe know. they just... Well, let's talk to them and see if they'd be interested in if, having yeah. a real conversation about yeah. this. But this is the danger of, of political correctness. Mm-hmm. This is the danger of this culture of, of, of victims. It's that... Everything you say is an attack on someone. And it's like, well, can't we just be a human who draws a comic? And right. it's like, well, no, because if you're a Jewish person who draws a comic, this is your perspective. If you're a black person who draws a comic, it's like, yeah. I know. But in order to to move beyond that, we just have to just be, we're all individuals. That's right. really what it boils yeah. down to. Yeah, yeah. And that we all have our own stories and struggles. And instead of saying, here's my struggles, just do the work. Right. That's, I mean, I, when I hear people, there's like a movement against doing women in comics panels because that idea is sexist in itself. Absolutely. And, or, you know, minorities in comics. And, you know, people do whatever uh, panel discussions they want. You know, if you feel it helps your career, then do it. But I think there's something behind that argument of that stuff's actually hurting the problem. 
you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's see. Let's see if they'd even be interested. Yeah, yeah, I feel now I feel like I pushed too far. If she says no, then maybe I said too much. No, no, her. no. I mean, the the first thing, like you know, the first thing I say yeah. is: there anything you don't want to talk about? Well, I don't want everyone forced, and no one's. Th- this is simply an idea, and it's probably not a safe idea for them to jump into. But if right. it's something they'd be interested in, yeah, yeah, we would be. Well, Fiona's an incredibly smart and thoughtful person, and I think she's 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 capable of very complex thoughts. And you know, we split a bottle of wine once, and like she really opened my eyes to some of the stuff that the women do deal with in comics that I never thought of. Just being a straight white dude, you know. So, yeah, I think I think that's all all important perspectives. I, I believe in her ability to maneuver it in a way that. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I just think if we all... see what she says. Yeah, I think if we all just speak from the heart, none of us are bad people. Right. Then there's no harm done. So if Fiona's listening to this, I'm coming after you. I don't know if she's ever listening to this. Hashtag (laughs) Women (laughs) Comics. All right. So is that... Anything else? Uh, That's pretty much it, man. That was a good one. All right. I I felt I started off stiff when we started warming up. We started talking about, like, social media tank down and... Beethoven being a dick. I, no, I, th- I think it was good through. Cool. Good. Well, good. All right. Th- is any, I mean, promote. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Cafe Racer is a book I did with my students from the Sean Murphy apprenticeship. My wife calls it. Uh, that's available probably by the time this is out. You can get it on essentialsequential.com or better if you buy it from one of my students because they get it at cost from me and that helps them out and uh, offset their costs of, of joining. Perfect. Uh, so that would be great. And then next year, I got two image books, 2015, one with uh, Mark Millar and one with Rick Remender. Okay. Original art sales are? Yep. EssentialSequential.com. And uh, that's probably it. All right. Thanks, Sean. Hey, man. Thanks. Another doozy. Thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for putting up with that that intro. Um, yeah, check. Uh, please, just just please pass the word on if you enjoy this podcast. Uh, please subscribe through iTunes. If you don't have iTunes, there's, there's other ways to get it. Um, and uh, please leave feedback and rate it. Rate it. Rate it if you can. I would appreciate that. And please follow me on Instagram at Ink Pulp. That seems to be popular for me. Twitter at Sean Crystal. Uh, those, are, those are two big ones. And I have a Facebook page, which is called Ink Pulp. Um, if you don't know me, please and you do want to follow my work on Facebook, please just go to the, the page. I'm really trying to separate now my uh, my personal stuff from my career stuff because I have kids, and in this this day of the Internet, uh, I'm just getting more and more weirded out by the accessibility people have, so I, I feel the need to be a little more protective of... Of my my personal life. Um, I don't know. That's about it. Um, I will be at Emerald City Comic Con coming 
up in a few months. Uh, also, I've recently joined uh, Essential Sequential, which I'm r- really excited about, really happy about. Um, Jason, who runs that that business of selling original art, has a crew of my favorite artists. And to be asked, to be included, to be one of is really, really, really awesome. And uh, so if you're interested in in commissions or artwork or any pages from Arkham Manor or or anything I've done, uh, you can check me out on EssentialSequential.com and uh, order through there. But at shows, uh, from now on, that's where I'll be sitting. So you can look for me there. But I will be at Emerald City sitting with Essential Sequential, um, which will be, uh, I know as of now, I know Eric Kennedy's going to be going. I know Mateo is going to be going. I know Sean Murphy's going to be going. Three good friends of mine. And coincidentally, uh, this episode is with Sean, as you know, and next one is with Mateo, and then we have Eric. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know where I'm going. I'm tired. It's over. It's done. Goodbye.